What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. We're back midweek, Wednesday, October 25th. After some uh, discussion, we've decided this is episode 216, so I hope y'all are with us. I hope that's what the uh, podcast hoster says. 216 it is. Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet join us from Oklahoma City. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall, you're back from Orlando. Ryan, you're back from Basketball Media Day. Everybody still got their fingers and toes? Uh, I guess so. I, I would say, uh, unless John Rothstein's run them over, the, all of mine are here. You're mean to John Rothstein. He deserves uh, it. Randall, how was your trip? Uh, it, it was great. It was great. Got to enjoy some time in Florida. Got Still kept tabs on the Sooners, so I, I know what I'm talking about, at least a, a little bit. And uh, yeah, it was a good trip. Got to see my family and everything. You're our UCF insider. That's how we're painting this thing. UCF insider. Yeah. Randall Sweet, uh, back yeah, from uh, back from assignment in uh, in the in the land of uh, enchantment, I guess. Happiest place on earth. It's not the happiest place on earth when you're stuck in traffic for two hours. I know that for a fact. Or when uh, your car won't start in the parking lot at two in the morning after a game. <laughs> that either. look, look. All we did, we sent Randall to scout the Pop Tart Bowl just in case. That's right. And it turns out, barring a late season collapse, that will be very unnecessary. We wasted a bunch of funds this last weekend, but that's okay. <laughs> I got to I got to eat some Pop-Tarts, so it was worth it. There you go. Okay. Wow, guys. Uh, we recapped uh, with the two-man staff as best we could on Saturday night in the post-game podcast from the press box, uh, 31-29 over UCF. Randall, we certainly didn't get your take on that game. Um, I thought it was cute that your dad was like asking, do you think that game will be on TV here? <laughs> that was funny, but, uh, I'm sure you got to watch what you could. Uh, what was your takeaway from, uh, from Oklahoma 31 UCF 29? Yeah. Um, so I, I was able to watch it. I, I thought it was, uh, it looked a lot like some games that we'd seen in the 2018 to 2021 range, um, where it was a team that coming into the game. Oklahoma was a high favorite on uh, on paper. They looked much better. They had a much better record yet in the fourth quarter, you found them needing a late stop or a late score or some sort of late big play to win the game. And they, they came out with that. It was uh, one of the first times we've seen a Brent Venables team um, kind of, you know, punch their way out of that rather than against a team like West Virginia last year, where they, you know, kind of fell over and lost or uh, some other, some other games last year, but um, obviously, I mean, the team's going to have to be sharper on defense. You know, uh, those those plays that UCF had success on, other teams are going to see that on film and say, hey, we can do that too. And uh, if OU doesn't get right in, in those areas, then uh, it's going to burn them down the road. Uh, but again, a win's a win for the Sooners. They still have everything in front of them because they're 7-0. and Yeah, Ryan, that's that's well said. A win is a win. They're 7-0. and Um what Venable said after the game Saturday night, I think rings true. And he said it now three times this year. Uh, he says, I don't think we would have won that game last year. I don't think we would have won that game last year. And I don't think he's alone. I think a lot of people are saying if this were 2022, Oklahoma probably loses that game for a, maybe Ryan, a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all you have to do is, uh, we didn't have this knowledge in the post-game pod, boss, because other games were happening. But I think if you take a step back and if you're able to look at the college football slate from Saturday in its totality, uh, we watched the end of that USC game after uh, the podcast ended. As, as you guys know that, listen, we were kind of monitoring that live. That ends up being a loss for the Trojans. You look at North Carolina, who turned into a turnover machine. They lost to an awful Virginia team. Uh, Washington, they turned the ball over four times and barely escaped. Michael Penix, Heisman frontrunner, was not responsible for a single touchdown against a one-win Arizona State team. Washington won that game, but you look around and go, okay, you're at the point of the college football season where you just got to find wins in any way possible. And when, when you look at what were a bunch of the emphases, a bunch of the places that, that Oklahoma put emphasis on this offseason, it was winning in the fourth quarter, third down efficiency on offense and defense, We've done a lot of praising Oklahoma's improvements on third downs, both on offense and defense to this point in the season. Um, I understand that the expectations have been raised based off what happened in the Cotton Bowl. 
But I also think it'd kind of be a little insincere to say if all they did all offseason was preach, we got to find a way to be better in the fourth quarter as well. And then Oklahoma finds a way to erase a six-point deficit and be better in the fourth quarter that uh, it, it would be kind of talking out of both sides. You're about to suddenly kill Oklahoma for not finding a way to put that thing together and have two really good offensive drives late. Yeah, five one-score games last year and five losses. 0-5 and in one-score games. Four of those were field goal games, three-point losses. So there's a number of ways to go with that commentary. Number one, I guess we should start with the elephant in the room like we frequently do here on the All Sooners podcast, and that is field goal kicking. <laughs> field goal cook- kicking, I-, I saw this, guys, on f- on Facebook um and twitter and the comment section and youtube and people are sounding off we need a new kicker we need this we need that now figure out kicking and and the overriding theme was field goal kicking is going to cost us a game this year that's the fans talking field goal kicking is going to cost field goal kicking cost you four games last year and it's the same guy so i ask you is this team above that this year is this team Capable of pulling away, being better on offense to pull away in the fourth quarter, be better on defense to stop the get those fourth quarter stops like they did uh, against UCF, and turn the ball over to the offense to go get a couple of fourth quarter touchdowns. Is this year that much different than last year? I think that obviously so far the team on offense and defense has been good enough to overcome that because, like you said, Zach Schmidt missed two field goals against. Uh, UCF on Saturday he missed a really important field goal against Texas that um, from where I was standing it looked like he just shorted the ball not not like it was blocked it just he kicked it too short not that he can't kick it that far he just was in his head or something like that and and as Ryan's mentioned throughout the season he his kryptonite last year was clutch kicks and I think that um, while during the regular season throughout big 12 play Oh, you might be good enough. Um, you know, again, these teams were OU's, you know, a two-score favorite. Those teams, OU might be able to overcome those kicking issues, um, like it did against UCF. But when you get into the Big 12 championship, if OU has aspirations further than that, the college football playoff, things like that, that's where that uh kicking game is really gonna bite you, in my opinion. They were Good enough to overcome it once against the best team they'll play this year. They overcame not just uh, a missed kick in the field goal game, but they overcame a block punt. Um, If I'm Oklahoma, though, I don't want to see if this team has nine lives when it comes to special teams. I think with who they have on the schedule left, this is not to say that Oklahoma is not going to be in some dogfights here. Kansas has a high-powered offense. Oklahoma State is the Undertaker gif out of the coffin suddenly as they've discovered Ollie Gordon's your best player. Why don't just give him the ball 20 times a game and good things might happen. BYU looks like uh, what West Virginia has kind of been in the Big 12, which is a different animal at home than on the road. Guess where that game's being played? Provo. So like there are there are losable games on the schedule. Um, so yeah, I, I just think you, you don't want to mess with it. The defense Last week, if, if they can shore up two plays, essentially, or even if they let that sprint draw 54-yard run go and Jaron Cannon just doesn't get in a guy's face on the ground, Oakland probably gets away with a goal line stop there. The complexion of the game is a little bit different, but I, I, I'm i confident that the defense can be good enough. The, the growth potential from here to the end of the season, especially as they get a fully healthy R. Mason Thomas back as Jaron Cannon plays more and more games as a middle linebacker or something. I, I think that the defense can separate. I'm kind of to the point with the offense, the offensive line, um, until McCade Matower gets back in, until he's healthy, I think the running game is what it is. It can be really, really good when it's locked in, and we haven't really seen that group be locked in for four quarters um, across a Power 5 game, basically, which is going to lead to some ebbs and flows of that offense. And so I think they can be good enough on one side of the ball defensively to avoid that. But, man, you want to be able to have a surefire answer if you get into field goal range and and you have a bad play and you're in a fourth and eight on the 22. Yeah, you shouldn't have to go through what a head coach has to go through. Should we go for it here? Should we should we kick it? Maybe we should pooch punt it. In Venable's case, it's, oh, God. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that whole, geez, do I trust the kicker? Not – uh, like you see a lot of coaches, geez, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. In, in Venable's case, it's, 
do I trust the kicker? Now he's not saying that, of course. Here's a quote from Brent from Brent Venables. Uh, he said Zach has been really good. He missed a couple of kicks the last few weeks. That's not good. Everybody's held to the same standards. We don't have great depth there. We had some guys banged up as well. I'm not sure what that means, if that means backup kickers or protection units or what. He says, I believe and have confidence in him, but we've got to be better. That goes without saying. Um, a thousand percent. So is there a solution? Is there, uh, Randall, is there, when you talk about Reddy, Mustafaraj, I hope I got that right again. Um, or you talk about Gavin Freeman. I'm sorry, Gavin uh, Marshall. Too many Gavins on this team. It's got to be a too many Gavins on the offense. They lead the nation in Gavins, do they not? Um, But is there somebody? You know what I mean. You're not going to trade for a kicker. You're not going to pick one up out of the transfer portal right now. So if if Schmidt is suddenly lacking in confidence, if he suddenly is is spraying it all over the place, what do you do? I guess you just go for it on fourth down. Well, I think that you know, I think that a lot of Brent Venable's words are to maybe keep his actions confidence up. I think that um, with kickers, uh, it's a very mental position. Obviously, a lot of that is uh, confidence based and how how you know he's feeling that day. And so, I think if Brent Venable knows. I think Brent Venables knows if he gets down on Schmidt, then Schmidt's going to only do worse. Um, I also think that if you know we see a few more games like last week where he's you know, continuing to miss multiple kicks, then I think at that point, oh, you'd be kind of forced to try one of the other kickers on the roster because, you know, at that point, there's no excuse to at, at a school like Oklahoma, where you're one of the top 10 teams in the country right now, um, you know, usually, a, a, you know, an upper echelon program, you should have multiple kickers who can at least get the job done and not miss multiple kicks a game. Um, and so while I think Zach Schmidt probably gets at least one more chance, you know, I'm sure we'll see him against Kansas. If he misses multiple field goals against the Jayhawks, then maybe I think at that point, Brent Venable is kind of forced to uh, play his hand and maybe try a different kicker then. And then I then that's where what you said comes into play, where you think about having to go for it a lot more frequently than you already do. Right. Well, Ryan, let me ask you this. We talked to uh, Luke Elzinga, and he got a question about just a general question. We all know what it was aimed directly at, but it was a general question about kicking confidence. And I think his response was something like, he's done really good in practice. He makes, you know, six or seven in a row in practice. I think it was Luke Elzinga that said that. And I apologize if it wasn't, but I think it was because I don't think anybody else got asked about kickers. But the question is, is six or seven in a row in practice? We don't get to go to practice, of course, so we don't know. But that doesn't sound like a lot, is it, for a a guy who's the, the kicker at the University of Oklahoma? Maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't matter, frankly. Like, it. This is one of those things that um, Randall's exactly right. Like they're going to say one thing publicly because the second that a head coach publicly says, yeah, our kicker kind of stinks. Like the confidence is not coming back that. So, but I think the timeline of, of this kicking controversy, at least the coverage of it Saturday, George Stoya asks Brentman was like, yeah, he's great in practice. Gavin's or uh, Zach's our guy Monday night on the coaches show, Brent Venables, who said nothing about kicker availability on Saturday, mentioned that the backup didn't dress at game time. Uh, I tr- That's why I tried to ask. That was my question. You read that quote from about the aggressiveness part of it. Cause I was like, I, the head coach is going to give confidence in this kicker. I'm more interested in the aggressiveness. And Brent Venables basically said, there's a lot that goes into it. I kind of expect. Did that going to try, you know what I mean? And, and so. Frankly, what we've seen of Zach Schmidt, with all due respect to Brent Venables, what he says publicly, he has not been good at any point throughout his career. He finished in sub 80s in kicking last year. He was bad, bad when it mattered. The only time he was good is on extra points where he's about to have the fifth most consecutive extra points in school history. So keep him there. That's going to be great. Um, he's not been good at any point this year. I don't care if he makes 100 field goals in a row in practice at yeah. some point, And Brent Venables knows this. The coaching staff will never say this. Tried last year with Jeff Levy that there's some guys that when the lights come on, they perform different than practice, good, bad, or otherwise. It does not matter what Zach Schmidt does Monday through Friday. It's not getting done on Saturday. And you as a coach, if you have another option, you have to make that change before it costs you. If if everyone else is truly injured and that's all you got, then Jeff Levy has to call the offense differently when you get into field goal range. Uh, Brett Venables, once they get into second and seven, has to quickly relay that of, 
hey, this is a go situation, so you got to get us to fourth and two or lower. Yeah, Randall, uh, let me ask you this. Um, when we talk about Jeff Levy calling the game a little different in the in the field goal kicking zone or even the red zone, uh, at some point, I think they they Oklahoma started Saturday first two and a half quarters, three quarters. They were one for six on third down conversions. They were at one point two for nine. And where I'm going with this is a lot of those. Uh, I said this on the post game podcast. A lot of those third downs was third and long. They faced an average of third and seven point seven yards per per third down to go. So. If you can't kick field goals or if you if you can't trust your kicker to to give you three points in, in an emergency break glass type situation, does Jeff Lebby have to approach first down differently, second down differently, third down? Or has he got to do just basically what he's been doing, which is big plays in the passing game? Because think about it. What did we see on Saturday? We saw deep touchdown pass, deep touchdown pass. And then nothing in the running game, nothing consistently, dropped passes, inconsistent blocking, all the way up until the fourth quarter when it was go time and they said, okay, let's go. I think I think you hit on it. I think the real area where that play calling might have to change is in the red zone. Uh, because like you said, that's, you know, when you're getting down there, when the field is more compressed and, and you know, at that point you're thinking about scoring, whether it is a field goal, whether it's a touchdown. And, and I think that... Um, like you said, it's it's a lot harder to to sell, you know, going for it on fourth and seven from the 20 yard line than it is fourth and one, fourth and two from the 20 yard line. Right. And so if you if you know you can turn around and hand the ball off to Tawi Walker and that's an assured couple of yards that might get you to that instead of, you know, fourth and five or something like that. I think that that could absolutely influence how Jebby calls how Jeff Lebby, sorry. Jeff Lebby calls second down, third down plays, things like that, knowing that um, four down territory is going to be a lot more extended a lot further back because they don't trust the leg of their kicker. And, and it also, to me, it just makes me wonder if if there are other options, why have we not seen them yet? Because like Ryan said, there there hasn't been really a moment where you can hang your hat on and say, that's why Zach Schmidt is, has earned this spot as the kicker. I mean, unless... Like you said, in practice, he's just unbelievable, and the rest of these guys suck. Jebby, I kind of like that. I think we should start a movement, Jebby. Just kind of compress people's names. I love it. Um, Ryan, you were with me yesterday at Brent Venable's press conference. Anything else stand out to you about what he said uh, yesterday, in particular, uh, as we start to preview, or as we as we recap UCF, we'll preview uh, Kansas in the next segment. Uh, not really. I, I didn't think it was an overly newsy press yeah, conference. It was um, yeah, I, I thought that it was a lot of, as we preview Kansas, preventable stops will be a lot more valuable because there were a lot of questions about Kansas, uh, a question about Kansas' punt returning of all things. We set a record for kicker and punter questions, I think, in a week nine <laughs> press conference. Uh, yeah. shout, out, shout out to especially everybody Kansas. involved. Sorry, especially yeah. with Kansas. When have we ever asked questions about OU playing Kansas? Can hey, tell us about the Jayhawks. That's never happened. I've been doing this 20 years, guys. It's never happened. Which is a credit to Lance Leipold and that staff and what they're doing sure. uh, to make this a big noon kickoff uh, joint this weekend. So I, I think it was overly big on that. I, maybe the biggest thing, um, just for people wondering, Peyton Bowen, he – had that boot on his leg in the post game. Britt Middles talked about that being precautionary, that he didn't even know if Peyton Bowen was going to be available for the UCF game, but that uh, he's been to go at practice. He still has that protective boot on, uh, but it feels like it, as long as he's up and ready to go, um, he continues to make play after play. So they'll just be utilizing him. Otherwise, I, as far as just like the newsy putting the bed to UCF, whatever, unless we want to talk about eye crimes, then uh, we're, I think we're probably okay. Yeah, Peyton Bowen, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, played five snaps, including that key third and long sack, which, I mean, the dude is just, okay, you're only going to get five snaps today. You better make them good. Okay, I'll I'll guarantee we win the game by changing, <laughs> by, you know, sacking the quarterback at a key key moment. He's, uh, he's incredibly productive. He's incl incredibly clutch, incredibly smart. I go back to what we talked about last week with him when he said people think, be instincts in football means you're just kind of born with it. No, we work hard at it. We work hard to develop those instincts and prepare for the games and read what the quarterback is looking at. And then we make our decisions and make our plays. So smart. 
Peyton Bowen for a, especially for a true freshman is just so smart, so wise. And um, the two, uh, yeah, building on that real quick. For as much as we wondered about the pass rush through the four, first four weeks, yeah, that's now back to back games. Jacob Lacey had a huge sack that forced Notre uh, Notre Dame, goodness, that forced Texas to. That that would have been impressive if Jacob Lacey, who played at Notre Dame at one point, that's where that came from. I'm not a crazy person. I'm just stupid. Uh, he had a huge sack against Texas, right? That forced Texas to change the math of what they were doing on that last drive. Nearly went into field goal mode, allows Oklahoma to come back, have a chance to respond and win the game. Now it's Peyton Bowen with a big sack. UCF didn't even have a question of what they were going to do after that sack because yeah. if they had gotten three yards, I think it was third and six, yep. a fourth and three near midfield. Uh, it was what the one point game at that point. Instead, Bowen comes up with a key sack, forces UCF to punt. Oklahoma scores, gets the eight point lead, everything that they needed. Back to back weeks that that OU gets key timely sacks from that pass rush, whether it be just those guys up front or an extra blitzer in a hobbled but still effective Peyton Bowen we don't know you, you we don't know now Ryan just to defend what you said that Jacob Lacey's sack didn't force Notre Dame to do something we don't know that fair it, it, it can't be proven <laughs> it can't be proven uh, that it did not build, building on that I thought Jacob Lacey played really well again this week uh against UCF and I thought I think that uh I've been really impressed the past two weeks against Texas and UCF what he's been able to do yep Yep, he's been good. That whole defensive line's been good. Guys, we talked to uh, Ethan Downs Tuesday night. I believe it was Tuesday, maybe it was Monday. Uh, we talked to our Mason Thomas at uh, post-practice interviews, and you're talking to a couple of defensive linemen who are out there making plays, and I think our Mason Thomas being back, being healthy, um, he's bigger, stronger, more explosive than he's been. He's twitchy, as uh, as Ethan Downs said, that dude's twitchy. Um, I think he's making a difference. I think he's making the guys that are that are out there that are putting in the reps all the first six games of the season. And Randall, you wrote the story, but Ryan, I'll go to you first because you were there talking uh, to those guys with me. The defensive line has been better and better and better and better almost every week. Yeah, and I think it's no coincidence that as you've gotten – Lacey back and healthy and back into game shape as he's been cleared to not just do the push-ups in his room like yeah. like he he told us about uh as you've gotten PJ who, who's able to get more and more just college football under him Armason Thomas who Ethan Downs and Brent Venable said he was the number one defensive end in fall camp until the moment that he went down and then he's kind of dealing with the high ankle sprains this is why we kind of talked about coming out of the bye week both ankles yeah he talked about both ankles uh for Farmers Thomas, Brent Venables did. I, this is why coming out of the bye week, I was really optimistic that as good as Oklahoma's defense had been through the first six weeks, there was even more growth potential for that group because let's just keep it on the defensive line. That's a true freshman in PJ. Ethan Downs is in his second si year in Brent Venables' system, and he looks like a light bulb has come on. He, he's not uh, thinking as much. Brent Venables said that, that basically it was almost a uh, paralysis by analysis for Downs, and he's been able to just read react get going bothroyd and trace Ford, those transfers are only going to get more comfortable in the system as the year presses on uh and that's why i, I kind of asked ethan downs it's weird that in week eight you guys are getting healthier as opposed to less healthy what can that do and, and downs was pretty emphatic that he's like there is no way that we cannot get better he threw in the fact that he's an OU softball fan in that quote as well and then he also I uh, was talking about just what they do as far as being able to the, the iron sharpens iron, the, the competition they have to have to just stay on the field. There, there's no way Ethan Downs said that they won't continue to get better. Yeah. Randall, tell us about the story that you wrote today. I believe it was this morning posted at uh, allsooners.com about the addition of uh, our Mason Thomas and how he's kind of changed or at least been additive to the uh, OU pass rush. Yeah. I mean, R Ryan mentioned it, that Brent Venables said, uh, you know, in fall camp, he was the best player on the, on that in that edge group. And I mean, that's pretty impressive when you look at what that edge group has done this season. I mean, yeah. you mentioned it. Ethan Downs has been off to a great start this season. I mean, Rondell Bothroyd, Trace Ford, they've both been really solid contributors. And so if our Mason Thomas looked better than all those guys in fall camp, now you're introducing that guy back into the lineup. I mean, that that's a lot of depth 
that you have. I mean, it'll keep all those guys more fresh. You can rotate in and out. Uh, just again, we've, we've heard the phrase a ton, but competitive depth. I mean, having our Mason Thomas healthy, Ryan mentioned, you know, getting PJ out of Boware more, um, uh, more in tune with the system, things like that. Uh, that's only going to help keep these guys fresh and just keep that defensive line growing together as the season progresses. I mean, um, our Mason Thomas is kind of, uh, you know, in skill set wise, he's got some similarities to a trace Ford, you know, smaller, faster defensive lineman that can really bend around the edge um, and beat those more uh, slower tackles. And so having two guys who can do that, you know, it really gives you a nice option to spell trace Ford, spell our Mason Thomas. Um, and then, of course, you've got the other guys, Ethan Downs, Rondell Bothroyd, who are a lot more powerful. Uh, they provide something different. And then PJ Adebowar, just uh, athletic phenom. So you've, it's kind of like, uh, you know, pick your poison. What, Which way do you want to attack this uh, opposing offensive line? Having our Mason Thomas back gives you more depth. It gives you another way to do that. And then uh, one more, we'll wrap up the uh, the first segment with uh, one more tidbit from the UCA the UCF game, and that is uh, Tawi Walker sat out with an in-house suspension. We know that all by now. Remembles told us on Saturday. Uh, word is, and I'll credit uh, OU insider uh, Parker Thune with this one. He said that uh, he put it on Twitter that he got into it with a staff member at practice. A um, couple of uh, type A's, I guess. A couple of alphas going, you know, going at each other a little bit. But if it's a staff member, you're going to lose that one every time, Tawi. So, uh I think he was leading the team in rushing going into that game. Now Marcus Major is the team leader in rushing. Tawi Walker second. So Brent Venable said uh, he's back this week. So does that change the dynamic uh, for the running backs this week for the Kansas game? Oh, I, what has the dynamic been with the running yeah, backs? Yeah, exactly. You know, like you know what I mean. So, sure, I think it's it's more of the same, which means, uh, here's how I'm gonna predict the running back rotation. I hope everyone joins me. Uh, Friday night in Lawrence, I'm gonna take all the running backs' names. I'm gonna rip them off to a piece of paper, put them into a jar, shake them up, and the first few names that fall out, that'll be your two leading rushers. Like, I mean, I would expect that you get Tommy Walker and Gavin Sawchuck. Marcus Major's clearly banged up, but. Uh, does it shake it up? I don't know how to answer that because it's been shaken up and, and yeah. spread all sideways the entire season. You're right. Randall, quickly. I agree. I think that um, that it'll be Tawi Walker. I think Gavin Sachek. I think right now those two guys look the best just from what we've seen recently. Like you mentioned, Marcus Major looks banged up. I mean, Brent Venables said a few weeks ago that uh, Javante Barnes is banged up. We haven't seen either of the freshmen, Dalen Smothers or Caleb Hicks, so don't really expect that to change. So I uh, I agree. I would expect it to be a heavy dose of Tawi Walker, Gavin Sawchuk. Those are the main two guys. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe I've been wrong this whole time, you guys, about Dylan Gabriel being a part of the running game, a designed part of the running game, an intentional part of the running game. I think that's uh, it's going against conventional wisdom when you've got a Heisman Trophy candidate and a true freshman is your backup it's going against conventional wisdom to stick that dude's neck out there like that a lot but apparently that's going to be the case um and he'll run dylan gabriel will run when he has to and that's that's what you need to do um when it's not there or scare him on a on a draw you know like he did last year against nebraska when he takes it pulls it down and off he goes right he can do that he's capable of doing he's got a 65 yard run and a 50-something yard run against Texas, he can do that. But, man, you're running that read option off the edge where people have an option. Do I hit the running back or do I hit the quarterback? You're going to hit the quarterback every time. You should if you're smart um, on defense. But, anyway, I digress. Um, I don't think I'm with you, Ryan. I don't think it changes the dynamic very much because it is it's, it is the dynamic, having Tawi Walker back. Tell you what we'll do, guys. We'll come back. We'll take a break right here and uh, preview the Kansas game. We'll talk about ESPN's FPI. Remember I told you last week they were number one in the nation for uh, op, uh, chances that they're going to – odds that they're going to win the national championship and win the conference and all this stuff. I'll tell you where they are this week. Plus, we'll talk about some Heisman odds. That thing's all over the place. I'm so tired of hearing it's his trophy to lose. It's his trophy. It's nobody's trophy until somebody wins it. 
That's how the Heisman voting works, you guys. We'll talk about all that next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. We're back on the All Sooners podcast on Twitter. You can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Follow Randall at RandallSweet5. Uh, website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All Sooners is free. No email, no passwords, no credit cards needed. And this segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. I'm going to ask you two questions. Are you 100% sure you're going to have a great retirement or do you have some doubt? Secondly, if I could show you how to get completely debt-free, including your mortgage, in nine years or less using the same dollars you currently spend, would you want to learn more? Yes, you would. So at Infinite Asset Advisors, not only do they help you plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. How cool is that? They're experts, guys, in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. Visit their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more and book a call with an expert. Segment two of the All Sooners podcast, we got to preview the Kansas game we kind of did that already once, but let's do it again for fun because it's so much fun to pre. Seriously, uh, all these years, all these press conferences I've attended, one uh, more than one year, like maybe six times, they play Kansas and Bob Stoops or or even maybe one time Lincoln standing up there at the podium and it's that's it. You guys don't got no questions for me about Kansas. You know, we're playing Kansas this week. And that's something that Venables, that's a, th- a thread that Venables has pulled on us several times. You guys want to talk about the Jayhawks this week? He loves that stuff. He loves talking about the upcoming opponents. So let's do it. Let's talk about the upcoming opponent, Kansas. Uh, Daniel Hyshaw and Devin Neal, two guys that are among the best running backs in the Big 12 Conference. Those guys are both really good, both explosive both going to hurt you with uh, with long runs, turn turn a four-yard run into a 15-yard run, turn a 15-yard run into a 45-yard run. Uh, let's start there. Um, we know the quarterback situation. We'll bring them in in just a second, but let's start there with that running game. Yeah, I funny enough, I know Daniel Highshaw as Deuce Highshaw because I was the radio producer for Moore's run through yes. – uh, and so I, I, on more than one occasion, our, our friend JD Northcutt was screaming, the dudes is loose. And, and so he was doing it, uh, at Oklahoma high school football. He's done it in the big 12 as well. But Devin Neal's really the guy, not, not high shots really good. He's really, really good. But Devin Neal is next level. Uh, he's a different caliber of athlete for me than RJ Harvey was last week. Uh, but I don't think Kansas up front's very good. Uh, I, I think that that's where it's really, really hard to close that gap. I think schematically they know exactly what they want to do, but I, I, I think that um, you saw it when Kansas played Texas, they had nothing for them. They, they, they didn't really get that thing going at all. And so if Oklahoma is locked in defensively, as always, when the Sooners and the Jayhawks step on the same field, Oklahoma will have the most talented defensive line and the second stringers are going to be more talented than Kansas's starting offensive yeah. line. But what's different is what Leipold does mentally to you, right? And it's the exact same thing that UCF did. I think against OSU, they flashed a graphic that was like, KU runs uh, some sort of motion pre-snap 75% of the time, which is like the most in college football. This is going to be a mental game. If OU, that defense, if they're locked in, they will be able to stop Kansas's offense. Uh, They were that for everything but two plays against UCF. And for the most part, they were really good. And I think that coming off of that UCF performance, they're already in that mindset and they're not happy with how the thing was overall. I would be surprised if you don't see that. 
Neil's a really good player. He's going to be able to break tackles in a way that I didn't think Harvey was able to. Once OU got their hands on him, I thought it was good. I just don't think top to bottom, especially without Jalen Daniels, uh, that this Kansas offense, while good, the rushing attack's not as as good per game as UCF's was, and OU did fine. Yeah, Randall, let me ask you this. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Jason Bean. He's a guy that I think in track in high school ran like an 11.6 or an 11.400. He's exceptionally fast, and he's tricky with the football um, per Lance Leipold's uh, offensive deception. We heard Brent and the, and the OU coaches talk about it last week with uh, UCF and Kansas being one, two, back and forth in terms of number of deceptive plays. Now, is that an analytic or is that an analytic? Now, who runs the most deceptive plays? It's Kansas and it's UCF. Uh, so OU's got, uh, we heard all week, and I'm writing a story about it for tomorrow, about eye crimes. If I'm looking at the wrong thing, I'm reading the wrong key, then I'm committing an eye crime. And uh, you hear uh, Desan McCulloch talk about being greedy, looking for a big hit instead of just trying to bring a guy down. You talk about uh, one of the DBs came in. I'm trying to remember which one. Maybe it was Woody coming in talking about being selfish. So, Randall, you add the quarterback situation where your your quarterback can fly, and he can throw a little bit. He throws a nice spiral. He's not always the most accurate, but he can he can he's one of the best. Like Ryan said earlier, one of the best backup quarterbacks in the country. This Kansas offense looks really dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Jason Bean put up 400 plus yards and five touchdowns in Oklahoma State just a few weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, if Jason Bean is the guy against Oklahoma, even if he is the backup, like y'all said, this is not a guy to take lightly. He can hurt you both with his arm and with his legs. Um, you know, whenever I was playing, it was always termed eye candy, not eye crimes. But, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, Kansas is going to run a bunch. They're going to put OU's defensive backs, OU's linebackers. They're going to make them think, you know, you're going to have to stick to, um, you know, your responsibility, your assignment. And I think like Ryan said, uh, you know, in his last answer, if OU's defense can do that, if they can lock in, they can stay focused on their guy, their assignment. I don't think that they'll have a problem. I mean, um, rush, running the ball, Kansas does have, they've got three guys being, um, Haisha, Neil, that can all do it. They can all hurt you. But I think that um, as far as through the air, uh, if that defensive line can keep being corralled, uh, Ryan said it last segment uh, in the pocket. I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that he will cause as big of an issue for OU as he did for the Pokes or some other, or even OU as he did for OU last year. Ryan, what's your gut tell you on Jalen Daniels? Why, what what's lingering for him? I, I I keep hearing we keep hearing the obvious um, coming out of, out of the KU camp, and that is back tightness. Um, I take you back to 2020 when he was a true freshman. He came to Norman, Oklahoma. I think he got sacked nine times or maybe 11 times, finished with 15, rush, 15 rushes, minus 47 yards. They beat him in the next week. And here we are four years later, and we're still, we're still talking about him, and he's still got injury problems. You're asking me what my gut says, right? Sure. This is not reporting. My gut says he's thinking about going home to Los Angeles. Jalen Daniels is not going to play another game for Kansas. Uh, I don't believe that's what a lot of the rumors behind the scenes up in Lawrence are, is that, yeah, there's a back tightness thing. But uh, if you notice, ominously, he's been week to week until he hit three out of four games. And now he's been doubtful in the rest of these games. Uh, that magic number of four means a lot for redshirt rule, maintaining eligibility. Uh, I am under the impression, and it sounds like Kansas media are under the impression that it is Jason Bean for this week, certainly, and that no one's going to label it as no shot, but look at where he's from. And the rumors about Malachi Nelson are not great. As far as what he has done at practice, I don't think that he plays another game for Kansas at all, much less plays against Oklahoma Saturday. That's too bad. He's completing 75% of his passes this year in his three games, five touchdowns, one interception. Uh, he's averaging about three yards per carry. So he's not the running threat that Jason Bean is. Uh, I think Bean changes. He's not as good as Jalen Daniels. Jalen was the preseason Big 12 offensive player of the year. I get that. But Bean presents a different element, and uh, I think that's something that the Oklahoma defense, when you talk about an offense that's tricky and deceptive and sneaky, 
Uh, I think the Oklahoma defense needs to um, needs to be on their on their toes this week because there's so much. You're going to be thinking this is your key, and your key is actually happening over here because that guy motioned across the formation, and oh crap, wait, are we in man or zone? You know, there's going to be all kinds of doubts as they're getting ready to snap the football. Defensively, what do we know about Kansas? Uh, rankings are not very good. NCAA rankings are not very good. Big 12 rankings not very good. They've got some experience, but they don't have a ton of talent. They're not sending anybody off the, off of this defense, I don't think, to the NFL, unless I'm overlooking somebody. Yeah, their talent. I, oh, go ahead, Randall. Sorry. I, I was just, I was sorry. I was just going to say nobody that I can think of off this defense is going to be, um, you know, a priority NFL pick. But I mean, th- again, this is a team that gave up over 400 yards to Jason or there that. Um, sorry. I misspoke. This is a team that against Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon ran all over them. They weren't able to tackle very well. And Alan Bowman threw the ball all over the yard. Um, I mean, obviously, Oklahoma State's picked up their offense in the past few weeks, and they've they've had success against West Virginia, some other teams. But, I mean, when you look at what Kansas has, you know, put on the field this year, I, I do think that Oklahoma's offense should easily be able to attack this defense. Um, again, like Ryan mentioned, this was – the weak point of Kansas defense last year. Uh, it's not like they're a huge uh, improvement from that, even though at big 12 media day, that's what Lance Leopold talked about was improving on defense. Uh, they were really focused on that. And while they may have made some improvements, it's not marginal enough to make me believe that they'll have a good chance at stopping OU's offense, especially uh, with what we've seen from Nick Anderson recently. I mean, if he continues to become um, more enthralled in the offense, become more, um, of a regular with Dylan Gabriel, then I think that uh, Kansas will be in their secondary specialty will be in for a long day. Yeah. The the little talent they have that the Logan kid at safety is pretty good. Um, they, this is not a Kansas group that you remember like the early Beatty days where like they actually legitimately had some big time defensive line talent. And it was kind of like Lincoln would, would be like, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but literally they have one of the most talented defensive lines and Oklahoma was able to get around it. Uh, Dejon Terry at one point was was part of that group under Les Miles. They do not have that uh, right now. Uh, that that's not the case. And they also haven't been like very opportunistic as far as turnovers go. Nevada, who at the time that Kansas went and played them, was on the longest losing streak in college football. I think they put the ball on the turf four times, and Kansas came up with none of them. So like it, it it's a little random at times. But I also think it's. Ted Roof talks a lot about population around the football. When you turn on Kansas football, there's not a lot of like four blue helmets rallying to the ball. It's a lot of arm tackles downfield, last ditch effort, stuff like that. But UCF's defense stunk and Oklahoma couldn't run the ball to the fourth quarter last week too. So I, I think on one hand, it it it's not a good unit, but on the other hand, it's, it's pertinent. It's on Oklahoma to, hurt them for that. They were unable to in the fourth quarter last week. And I don't know if you looked at the weather forecast is supposed to be cold. Yep. Dylan Gabriel didn't throw the ball very well in adverse weather conditions last year. So it may be contingent on the offensive line to open up those holes and no, and it, again, it's not a good unit up front. I, for Kansas, I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to see a consistent rushing attack because we just it we're seven games in and we're still going. Can the offensive line or the running backs? Can everybody get on the same page? There, there are too many problems. Uh, so maybe they just need to tell them that there's two minutes on the clock the whole game. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's uh, what one of the guys told me yesterday. He said, "Hey, our offense is is a two minute offense, so we're going to be able to score." Uh, Kenny Logan Jr. is the safety Ryan referenced. He leads the team in tackles. Uh, Austin Booker leads them with eight tackles for loss. And then uh, Jerome Robinson has five tackles for loss, uh, four passes defense. So they've got some guys that can play. Uh, another quick note for you. Um, I saw McCabe Matoyer yesterday at practice, fully suited up, wearing cleats this time, not tennis shoes, wearing cleats. He might be getting back into the rotation, or maybe he just loves practice so much. He's like begging, can I just dress up for practice? Probably not. Um Dejon Terry started his career, as Ryan said, at KU. He told us a story yesterday. Very cool. He was at a drive-in. This is what he said. He was at the drive-in at Sonic when he got the in high school, when he got the call from Les Miles, Les Miles himself, we'd like to offer you a scholarship to come to the University of Kansas. 
play some football in the Big 12 Conference. That's less. He said, I don't understand this part, but this is what he said. He said he threw his food out the window. I know it wasn't a chili cheese dog that he threw out the window. You don't throw chili cheese dogs out the window, but I don't Why would you throw your food out the window just because you got a scholarship offer? I'll tell you this. If he threw a chili cheese dog out, that's worse than an eye crime in Ryan's book. <laughs> Absolutely. Not the tots. No. Not happening around here. Nope. And we value Sonic too much in Oklahoma. That's right. Amen. That's right. Um, all right, you guys, let's talk about the uh, FPI. I, I gave you all the stat last week that FPI favored Oklahoma to win the national championship. What? What? Yes, win the national championship last week. Uh, this week, less so. They dropped after the UCF game, after beating UCF by two points, needing a couple of fourth-quarter touchdowns. They dropped from a, what was their chance last week, tw- uh, 40% chance? No, 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 that's not right. It was like 21% chance to win the national championship this week. They're number two in the nation behind Ohio State, uh, 17% chance to win the national championship. Ohio State's at 247 Florida State behind them at 12.2. You see Michigan at 14.6, if Michigan's allowed to play the rest of the season. Just saying. Uh, Talk about deception. Yeah, right? Uh, To win the conference, chances to win the conference, Florida State is at number one at 75.5%. Oklahoma is number two at Uh, 60.6%. Chances to make the playoff, Oklahoma is number one at 63.5. That means if they lose the Big 12 championship game to Texas, they've still got a chance to back in to the playoff. 63.5, Florida State is number two at 50. I I, I missed one. Florida State is number three at 59.1. Oklahoma is number two at 63.5. And number one, because the Big Ten, the rest of the Big Ten stinks so bad. And if they lose to Ohio State, they still got a chance to back in. Sorry, if they lose to Michigan, they still got a chance to back in. Number one is Ohio State at 73.4. So there's all your worthless numbers, but these are mathematical analytics for what um, what the computers and the math nerds think of college football's, uh, how college football is going to play out from this point forward, basically. Yeah, I mean, I- Oklahoma – dropped in total defense because of what they gave up to UCF. That's to be expected. Uh, the other thing, too, who does FPI hoof? ESPN? Espen? Oh, well, Arch Manning's about to roll into town in Texas. <laughs> they they got to – no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, frankly, I look more at S&P Plus. They're all resources, not the Bible. Good point. I, I was just going to add that, you know, you mentioned Ohio State. Their defense this weekend looked really, really good against another uh, team that was ranked in the top 10. Ohio State's defense all season has looked really solid. That defensive line is a nightmare for opposing teams. So I think that, um, you know, I think right now it's hard to argue with that. And again, Ohio State's going to get tested. They still have to play Michigan this year if, like you mentioned, Michigan's allowed to play. Um, So I I don't see, I I see why, I can see where that that, uh, makes sense. Some more worthless numbers for you. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Number seven on this week's Heisman odds. This is according to the MGM. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State wide receiver, is plus 1,800. Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, is plus 1,600. Dylan Gabriel is number four. Dropped. Wait, is that four? That's five. Dylan Gabriel is number five. He has dropped from number two, a solid number two, to uh, he's now at plus 1,200. Jordan Travis, quarterback at Florida State's at 900, plus 900. Jaden Daniels, not Jalen, Jaden Daniels at LSU, despite two early losses, 325. Michael Penix Jr., plus 300. He tumbled after being a, a minus last week, I think minus 140 last week, something like that. And then J.J. McCarthy, Michigan, is your new current front runner for the Heisman Trophy at plus 240. Uh, Ryan, thoughts about the uh, the Heisman race? I know you're really eager to get your trip to New York City. Yeah, well, uh, Hoove and I are going to have a ton of fun because Dylan Gabriel is still going to be a Heisman finalist if Oklahoma <laughs> is uh, 12-0. and 0. Uh, That's the only way I think that he's going to be a Heisman finalist. Frankly, um, there are not any more marquee games left for the Sooners outside of playing Texas again, the big 12 championship. 
Yeah. Dylan Gabriel had his Heisman moment. The downside for Dylan Gabriel is Pinnix had his Heisman moment more recently. If Michigan beats Ohio State, McCarthy will have his Heisman moment more recently. Um, that's just how this thing works, kind of, uh, for for the betting markets. And I would hope that Heisman voters don't me- purely do that, but they're human beings. You know what I mean? So um, Dylan Gabriel's been very, very, very efficient. I don't think anyone's confusing him for the best quarterback in the country. And the farther and farther you get away from that drive against Texas, he'll be in there, but uh, everyone's numbers are good right now. And frankly, uh, everyone else is going to be playing bigger time teams than uh, BYU and TCU down the stretch. Yeah, you're right. I think that, um, you know, you're right, Ryan. I do think that all these teams are going to have bigger opponents, but I think that, I mean, for a guy like Michael Penix, that, that could also end up maybe hurting his case. I mean, if he goes out and doesn't perform well against Utah or doesn't perform well against some of these other teams that, you know, Washington still has to play, uh, that could hurt his chances. And while I think you're right, I do think that the only way uh, Dylan Gabriel ends up in um, New York City is if Oklahoma goes undefeated the rest of the way. Uh, he might be able to kind of pad his numbers against some of the the lesser competition. And I also kind of wonder if, um, you know, this Michigan State or sorry, Michigan potential scandal could taint the way people look at McCarthy, even though he's not necessarily involved. Uh, you know, how would voters feel about voting for a quarterback of a team that's, uh, you know, not able to play in the postseason? Who knows? Heisman voters can be weird. I administered the uh, the Heisman vote in Oklahoma. We've got 22 voters here in the state, and uh, there's some there's some interesting characters on our uh, in our electorate. And yeah. uh, sometimes they look at stuff like that. Sometimes they follow the headlines. Sometimes they ask you questions, and you're like, "What?" So it it just I'm just saying it happens. Um, tell you what we'll do, guys. We'll take a quick break here. Uh, this segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite asset advisors go to infiniteassetadvisors.com and learn how you can get debt free and begin real retirement planning right now don't wait on this because if it's it doesn't matter if it's retirement or private banking or family asset protection or estate planning or living trust whatever it is just let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future call 512-710-0100 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com. And of course, the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com has all the information you're going to need. Coming up next, we're going to hit some recruiting. Yeah, that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating. Five stars helps if you're listening on your podcast platform. If you're watching on YouTube, rate subscribe, leave us a comment, and of course, always share us on social media if you can. Helps the podcast grow. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, I wrote a story uh, yesterday. I was sitting at a coffee shop in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, going over some quotes from Saturday night, going over some quotes from Tuesday, the Brent Venables press conference. Recruiting has gotten easier this year for Oklahoma. What? Yeah, recruiting's defenses, uh, defensive guys has gotten easier. How is that? Because they're seven and zero, and Brent Venables has a a a body of work from which these guys can judge. These recruits can now look at Oklahoma on the field and say, "I want to play defense like that." Versus last year, it was like, "Okay, here's what our defense is going to look like, guys." And then, of course, last year was six and seven, right? And the defense was in the one twenties at times, right? So this year's got to be easier. Now, here's some numbers I dug up. Uh, We're going to use 24-7 sports. Oklahoma's got five top 125-ranked guys in last year's class. On defense, 
five of the top 125. I think that's right. Five of the top 125. This year, they've only got one, and that's David Stone. Now, there's more guys defensively in this year's class, 12 versus eight last year. But think about that. Think about how if you're a coach and you're hosting guys on a weekend visit or you're maybe talking to them uh, by Zoom or whatever, FaceTime nowadays, right? Uh, and you're able to say, hey, did you see our game? We, we shut out. Uh, Arkansas State. Did you see our goal line stand against Texas? Did you see our three interceptions against, you know, name your team? We lead the nation in interceptions this year. Did you see our five sacks? They can actually illustrate to, to kids. Ryan, I'll let you get start us off. They can actually illustrate to the kids um, the what what Oklahoma football looks like and what Brent Venable's vision is moving forward. Yeah, strategy number one, if you want a good recruiting class, have the best defensive linemen uh, in the country be born or spend a lot of time around the state of Oklahoma. If that can't be the case, then win a bunch of football games. Oklahoma, historically, they have been out-recruited by Texas. Why? Texas is close to home, 40 acres, Austin's a fun city, all that fun stuff. Historically, what has Oklahoma also done? Won way more games than Texas. They've developed and put guys to an NFL pipeline, all that stuff. Brent Venables talked about it, that, that he has a track record from his first in his defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, from his time at Clemson, of NFL production, all that stuff. But everyone in the country is going to be like, yeah, but he can't do it as a head coach. Now he's shown he can do it as a head coach, and that's going to make things a lot easier, especially to if Oklahoma's winning games, a defensive end, Miguel Chavis, in his second year as position coach, Look at how his defensive ends are playing. That helps combat against negative recruiting. All of it makes sense, but it's hard to, like, it shouldn't be taken for granted just how important these advancements, the, these improvements are for Oklahoma in the recruiting world because it just makes it that much easier. Less stuff that people can ding you for as, as everyone negative recruits everybody. Yeah, thoughts, Randall? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. And I mean, whenever I've talked to recruits, that's exactly what they've, you know, told me. They, I mean, if you go look at the story I put out, I think it was not this Sunday, but the Sunday before that, before that, um, you know, kind of recruits talking about the OU Texas game. Uh, I think one that really stands out to me um, is a, a safety in the 2025 class named CJ Jim Coyley. And now, not necessarily the person himself, but what he said, I think probably reigns true with a lot of recruits and that it was, you know, after watching that game, he really had a different look on OU. He really thought differently, and that kind of changed his opinion. Uh, it, and it feels like that game, and really this season as a whole, has been exactly what you said. It's been a proving ground where Brent Venables can say, this is what we're building at Oklahoma. I mean, come, you want to come be a part of this. And and that goes, obviously, like, like Ryan said, um, you know, the improvements on the field. But I think that also goes in the culture of the locker room and off the field too. I think that what Brent Venables has built there and the fact that all these guys have been, or not everyone, but a lot of these guys have been in that for now more than one year. They're more ingrained in that Brent Venables culture rather than, um, uh, you know, previously. And um, I think that recruits seeing that, seeing the family aspect, just building a relationship with these coaching staffs, These this coaching staff um, really kind of setting up shop and putting their roots down in this region of the country, you know, as opposed to kind of the Southeast where they were before uh, has really helped um, kind of grow that recruiting class and just um, build the culture and that recruits want to be a part of it. OU. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's recruiting. That's traditional recruiting. Think about this guys. Last year's haul from the transfer portal came off a six and seven season. DeJon Terry, Andrew Anthony, Rondell Bothroyd, Caleb Schaefer, Walter Rouse, Reggie Pearson, Trace Ford, Desan McCulloch, Austin Stogner's back, Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame. Uh, they got a punter, Luke Elzinga, who was a three-time all-conference guy, Blake Smith from Texas A&M, Troy Everett. Now, everybody I named on that list is contributing mightily and there's only like two or three guys that they got in the transfer portal who are not contributing at that level. Now you're seven and zero, oh and you're building maybe something special, maybe a special season. What's the transfer portal going to look like next year? Yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of last year's haul in the transfer portal too was not only are we building towards this, but 
it creates an opportunity for for these guys who whatever their situation was at the previous school to be able to come in and get a shot to play and play on a team that has a chance to be moving in the right direction and building something special, potentially something special. Yeah, I think the portal is kind of more volatile year to year. It just reaffirms that Oklahoma will be one of those big time programs that guys look to. Uh, but what it needs to look like is probably a five nine, five ten, scrawny looking kid that can kick field goals. That's what it needs to look like. <laughs> Tamper. Tamper. They don't kickers don't have to be five nine and scrawny. They can be it can be whatever it needs to be, as long as they can actually put the put as long as they can actually parallel park that bad boy between right. the uprights. They need to get back to parallel parking. It's supposed anybody, to anybody anybody on the women's soccer team, Ryan, could suit up. Anybody? anybody Literally any know? of they would all be better at every they, single one of them. To geez. a woman. I tried to get my daughter to consider it when she was in high school. The, the high school kicker was not good. And uh she's like, No, I'm not gonna go stand out there with a bunch of boys. <laughs> so it's a different deal. All right. Randall, let's get to the uh, end of the weeds a little bit, um, or maybe into the stalks of corn, shall we paint it that way? Grant Bricks, when he's not uh, bench-pressing tractors, is uh, knocking over defensive linemen. You think he's coming to Oklahoma? It's starting to sound that there's a lot of momentum that he might be coming to Oklahoma if he doesn't choose Nebraska or Kansas State. Nebraska had a truck out there. Did you see their big equipment truck, their big 18-wheelers, Nebraska corn huskers across – at his high school yikes yeah that's uh that's that's what i was gonna say i mean with with bricks it feels like it's kind of a back and forth between oklahoma and nebraska and it feels like it feels like it has been since this summer honestly um this is a guy who's got a lot of attention from schools all over i mean i'm pretty sure he's got an offer from alabama but nebraska being so close to home Oklahoma, the relationships he's got with Bill Biedenboe, with Jerry Schmidt, those guys, uh, that's really pulling him between those two places. This is a guy who, from what I'm familiar with, wants to be close to home, um, you know, and that's why Nebraska is so enticing. But he also, I, like I said, really likes Bill Biedenboe, really likes Jerry Schmidt, really likes uh, the relationships he's got here at Oklahoma, in Oklahoma. I say here because we're in Oklahoma City. Um, and I think that in the end, um, I think those relationships are what will likely win out. Um, but I do think that it's a fight till the end between Oklahoma and Nebraska. Neither team is giving up any ground. And I mean, again, Nebraska's pulling out all the stops, you know, pulling this big 18 wheeler up to his high school. Uh, and, and I don't think that they're going to go out without a fight, but I do think that, um, I would say that the a decision will probably be made somewhat soon. When was Eddie Pierre Louis' last visit to Oklahoma? Do you know? Oh man, um, he's a Florida so, kid. Yes, I think he's considering oh, Central Florida, was, I think it was this this weekend. Maybe I was thinking he was here. I thought I thought he was here this weekend. It was this weekend or the previous home game, one of the last two home yeah. games. Yeah. Um, but on, on him, I think that that's another kid that we could see a decision coming from very soon. Um, you mentioned Central Florida, uh, a kid from Tampa. I think that he really liked Central Florida at one point. That was probably the leader. But I think that now Bill Biedenboe, OU, has worked their way back into that recruitment. And I think that if Grant Bricks does end up choosing Nebraska, that's going to be even more important that they're that they're still in contention there. I think that in the end, OU will win out for Pierre Lewis. But again, you never know. Still waiting a decision there. Now, OU hosted a quarterback last weekend as well. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, four star in the 2026 class, Will Griffin. Will Griffin, yeah. Did any any uh, word how that visit went for him? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it went real well. Uh, it seemed like on Twitter he enjoyed it. He posted about it multiple times. Um, I haven't seen an offer come out of that yet, which is interesting. Um, I kind of expected that 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 would happen. You know, I, I thought maybe um, they were bringing him in to to kind of see uh, evaluate and offer him after that, but. Uh, I, I still think that an offer for him will come uh, pretty soon down the line. He's one of the top quarterbacks in 2026. Uh, obviously, he's got uh, a mutual interest in Oklahoma uh, being here so early. OU has really good uh, recruiting routes in Florida, Tampa specifically. We've seen that. Eddie Pierre-Lewis, Lewis Carter, guys like that. Uh, so we'll see if they can continue to do that with Will Griffin. Real quick, Randall, we'll finish up with this. Uh, what's the running back situation uh, beyond 2024? The, they're good in 24. What do they got for 25 and, and beyond? 
Uh, 26, obviously, we've got Jonathan Hatton in that class. I still think there's some other guys, uh, Javian Osborne, um, a few other running backs in 2026 that they're going to be in on. 25, they're making a really strong push for the nation's number one back, Harlem Berry. Uh, this is a kid from Metairie, Louisiana, though. It's always hard to get a kid out of Louisiana away from LSU, especially a kid who's that talented, number one running back in the country. I mean, running LSU has uh, turned – other number one running backs in the country from the state of Louisiana into top five NFL draft picks in the past decade. So it's going to be hard to win out there. But again, with DeMarco Murray, with the track record he's got, you never want to rule that out. There's another running back that's very highly rated in the 2025 class, and that's uh, Tory Blaylock, who is uh, out of Atascacita High School in the Houston area. His father, Derek Blaylock, an NFL player, I think six, seven years in the league. So um, good bloodline there. Is a, this is a kid who's visited OU this season. He's been on campus for game day visits. So OU stands in a really good spot with him. Both of those guys, I think the Sooners are in their top 10s, which uh, have been released in the past couple of months. So uh, really good headway on both of those guys. And I think that um, I think they're going to have a shot with both of them as things come down to it. Good stuff, fellas. We will talk uh, on Saturday at the ball game, and uh, we'll talk uh, to the folks again in the press box on Saturday night. Hopefully the Wi-Fi holds true this time. And we don't get locked in. Well, we're getting locked in. We it, got goals when we hit the We're getting road. locked in. That's, that's Wi-Fi's how. good. No, don't get locked in. Safe travels home, right? That's, that's those three things. Pretty much. Yep. My Randall, first trip to first, first trip to KU? Yep. Very first. All right. We'll, we'll try to make it a memorable. Oh, I'm sure. Yep. Hey, thanks, guys. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast uh, after Saturday's post-game podcast, of course, uh, from the Press Box. Certified Fresh. You can find all those shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on All of our shows are on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.